Good morning, family. It's not a cliche. That's what we are. New Testament has the words brothers and sisters scattered all across its pages. We're family. We're not trying to build an audience here. We're not trying to act like a theater crowd. I went to the movies a couple of days ago with my wife. She made the regrettable decision of choosing a movie that we had to walk out on. It was so boring and tedious. It wasn't inappropriate. It was just bad. <laughs> and it never occurred to me to reach over for, because there were six people in, a, in an auditorium for 130, it never occurred to me to walk five rows forward, introduce myself, and strike up a conversation with someone else who bought a ticket. If we are not very careful, we will, we will confer the status of a movie theater to the Church of Christ, where people walk in, sit down, listen, hear, maybe even learn, maybe even have their hearts moved, and then they retreat back into their very private and individual lives until they do it again the following Sunday. That's not what we're about. That's not what Jesus had in mind. We're family. We really do belong to each other. When we call God our Father, that means that we're each siblings, that we are brothers and sisters to one another, that we rejoice with one another when there is cause for one of us to rejoice, that we weep when someone's heart is broken, that we bear one another's burdens, Galatians says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, as I'm going to show you, we let the word of Jesus live first in us, and then we share it with others so that others may grow along with us to be more like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why I'm thrilled to see this room filled again. That's why I want to invite you in the days to come, whatever they bring, to be purposeful about your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. We're trying to make the family grow. My good friend Rick Piantadosi has been leading a little group, a little ministry team that's been on the shelf because of COVID for a long, long time. But the second Saturday of August, that'll be Saturday, August 14th, we're going to meet in the parking lot at 10 in the morning. We're going to leave from this campus to go to a local neighborhood and go door by door, offering to pray for people. And we'll see how it goes. Sometimes they're very grateful. Sometimes they slam the door in our face. doesn't particularly matter. We're there to offer prayer in the name of Christ and to share the gospel with them by at least giving them a gospel tract. That ministry has, is coming back online. All of you are invited to be part of it. If you want to be the guy that stands six feet behind the guy who knocked on the door, that's a good place to start. That's how we learn. That's how I learned when I was a kid. I hope you'll join me and those others Saturday, August 14th, and let's do, the, let's do this life that Jesus has given us. Let's do it in relationship with him and with one another. Let's pray now. Jesus, help me, Lord. As I read your words, they're so uplifting. They're so encouraging. They can be so convicting and humbling, too. Help us to listen to you. Help us to take you seriously and do what you say. Lord, make us tired of doing it our own way. Give us the grace to take you at your word and do what you command. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in a study of doctrine. We have been studying creeds. In other words, beliefs historic Christian beliefs. We have been studying what the apostles themselves believed and taught. On purpose, we won't go into every detail of biblical teaching. I intended when we started this series to give you an overview of what the Bible teaches about the most important topics that it addresses. You may have noticed as we arrived after looking first at the Bible and then that the nature of God God the Father, and then God the Son. Now, for weeks, we've been talking about God the Holy Spirit. You may have noticed we've slowed down. Did you notice? I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be imbalanced on purpose. There are a couple reasons we've slowed down with the Holy Spirit. One is, I'm not that good at planning. Another is, I'm trying to preach shorter. Have you noticed? Of course you haven't. I haven't succeeded. I said I was trying. And providentially, I think, through my 
inability to follow my own plan and to move through the teaching of the Bible as quickly as I would like, it may not be entirely bad for us to spend more time thinking about the Holy Spirit because it is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that is most mysterious to people, most often ignored, and certainly the most often abused. It is the Holy Spirit as well, if I could use a figure of speech that is, in our lives, the point of contact into the life of God. All of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are yours. You belong to all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as I'm going to show you from the teaching of Jesus himself, once Jesus rose from the dead and returned to glory from from which he came to save us, He sent the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, and it is is the Holy Spirit who first opened our eyes to our need of Christ. That was a few weeks ago. If you are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus himself explained to you that that is because the Holy Spirit came into the world to convict the world to convict the mass of unbelieving, disbelieving, God-defying, Jesus-denying people, first of all, of their sin because they didn't believe in Jesus. To show them the righteousness of God and the frailty and the futility, the absolute dead end that our own human righteousness is. The best we can do is not nearly good enough. The best we can do falls short of the glory of God. The best we can do when we try to supplant that in the place of what God has done for us in Christ not only falls short, it's actually offensive to God. It takes his sacrifice and and says, essentially, thank you very much, I'll take it from here. I can do better. I'll supplement your sacrifice with my best effort. Nonsense. And the Holy Spirit warns us, Jesus says, of coming judgment so that we will run to Jesus and be saved. Last week I told you that the intent of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to show you all of that, to bring you into the family of God, and it is through the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit that you belong to God. So when I take a few minutes before I start, opening my Bible and address you as brothers and sisters, remind you that we are family. That's not preacher talk. That's not hype. That's not a brand. That is actually the work of the Holy Spirit that makes each of us belong to one another. So when a brother, a sister in this family, in this congregation says to me, I'm having trouble in life. I've lost my job, my marriage, my relationships. My health is in jeopardy. That's part of me. We can't all know each other. The church has grown to the size where we can't all possibly know everybody else. I don't know everybody everybody that comes here, though I try. I may have freaked some of you out, chasing you down to offer you my business card. I'm just trying to be friendly. I'm trying to give you a welcome into the family. But even though we can't all know each other, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we do belong to God, we do belong to one another, and according to Jesus, it's not only belonging to God, it's actually now a matter of behaving as children of God. And in the pandemic, if we're very honest and very humble, and that's the hardest thing to be in the world, humility's tough because if you notice you've got it, you just lost it. You ever caught yourself being humble? Have you ever walked away from a situation saying, I hope they appreciate how loving that was? <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, I have. Nonsense, silliness. But it's not only belonging to God, that is the initial work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. He, according to Titus, regenerates us. I taught you that last week. We're not reformed we're reborn. It's not our life improved. It is the life of Christ in our place. It is, as Colossians says, Christ who is our life. You now have the life of God. You are now in his family. Now Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the point of contact, so to speak, into everything that God is and will assure you, as I'm going to show you, He is the guarantee that you will someday have all that God has promised. But belonging is not enough. 
Once you're in a family, loving parents start working with their children as soon as those children are old enough to understand. Healthy, loving parents labor to teach their kids two things at once. You belong here. We love you. We want you here. We prayed for you. We are so glad that you're part of this family. You belong. And because you belong, here's how we want you to behave. Any parents have any conversations with their kids about behavior this week? Any children protest the standard? Find it harsh or arbitrary or inconsistent or hypocritical? I made all those complaints growing up. But I now, a grown man with nearly two, with two grown boys of my own, I now thank my father and my mother that they not only taught me that I belonged with them, that I was part of a family, but they insisted lovingly on me changing gradually sometimes at the end of dad's belt, into behavior that resembled what their values were, which were Christian. For those of you who are in ministry, whether you're in vocational ministry as I am, or you're in ministry at this church, or anyone else in this church or outside of this church looks to you for some kind of inspiration, encouragement, or help in Christ, let me give you a free tip along the way. Never insist to your children that they should behave because you're a public figure, because you're known as somebody. That breeds bitterness and anger in ministry children. The standard is only the same thing. You behave because you're a Christian. And you behave because you're part of our family. The job, the position, the title, none of that matters. We're insisting on you behaving because you belong to God and because you belong to us and with us. That is the work of the Holy, of your, of the Holy Spirit in your life, giving you the life of God and then as I'm going to show you through the words of Jesus doing a series of things, and I'm only going to share one with you this morning, one thing the Holy Spirit does to help you behave like Christ. Behave like a Christian. Not as an act. Not to impress. Not as a mask. Not as clothing that you take on and take off according to the setting or convenience, but as your actual, from the inside, because you are a new creation in Christ, actual character. And that is the great need of the American church at this hour. But I can't speak to the entire American church. I'm seldom invited to speak anywhere except here. So let me just talk to you. The great need for Crosspoint is to behave like Christians in these hard days. Amen. Not everyone has. The hardest thing about the pandemic for me has been, in addition to the obvious grief and the obvious death that some of you have suffered in the heart of your family, the real hardship for me as the weeks roll on, is to see how, what a great gap was exposed in the lives of at least a few Christians, some of them very well known and very prominent, between what they said they believed and the way they behave. During this pandemic, several well-known Christians, worldwide celebrities with millions of sermon downloads were exposed as people who were utterly different from their public persona. They were hypocrites, and in at least one case, predators. And what the Holy Spirit does is make your belonging to the family of God gradually conform to the character of God. In other words, he is at work to make you behave in the way that you already belong. He wants your creeds to be matched by your deeds. He wants your belief to be matched by your behavior. He wants to spare you the hypocrisy and the pain of having your character actually exposed by your actual conduct. The Holy Spirit does all that according to Jesus. Look with me, please, in John chapter 14. The first thing the Holy Spirit does to help us behave as God's children is this. He teaches us. 
John chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Let me give you the setting. Hopefully you have your notes in front of you or you're using the app. Deliver those notes to you on Sunday morning before the first service. Here's the setting. We're in John chapter 14. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see hardly anything but red ink between 14, 15, 16, and 17. The reason is this, the Last Supper has been served, the Jewish Passover has been celebrated and rededicated as a communion with Christ himself. Jesus has used the elements of the ancestral Passover supper to identify himself as the Passover lamb. The traitor was at the table, but he's gone out into what John calls a dark night. He is on his way to come back with men with weapons and murder in their hearts. It is only through a final miracle of Jesus before he goes to the cross that the disciples themselves are spared. Jesus, the men ask for Jesus. He says, I am. The entire company, according to John, falls to the ground. He uses his divine authority to let his disciples escape. And wicked men got up from the ground where they had been momentarily humbled by the Son of God to crucify the Son of God. Imagine the hardness of men's hearts to be in the presence of the Son of God, briefly letting them see once more before they kill him that everything is true, that he has authority far beyond their understanding and not of this earth, but they still get up to arrest him, torture him, and kill him. That is the love of the Savior. But on this final night, in those chapters written in red ink in many Bibles, Jesus is giving a final teaching to his disciples to prepare them for what is coming and to encourage them that his absence is not only not the end, it is the beginning of something much better. Look, John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, what will he do? He will teach you, how many things? All things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Years ago, I started volunteering as a police chaplain. It's some of the best training I've ever had. What a chaplain primarily gets called for is a technique called crisis intervention stress management. A police chaplain called to such a scene as a first responder to first responders and to citizens who are overwhelmed by trauma, overwhelmed by loss. And the most interesting thing perhaps that I've learned is because of the overwhelming nature of trauma, of sudden death, of sudden loss, of critical injury, memory plays all kinds of tricks. Things that did not happen are remembered. Things that are vitally important cannot be remembered. With that observation from science, I think I'm understanding a little bit more what Jesus is doing here in John 14. The disciples are in such a state of near panic that it won't take much to make them run for their lives. One man near the disciples will actually leave much of his clothing behind. It's that kind of panic. It's that kind of crisis. Listen to Jesus reassure them. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He's on his way to the cross. He's with them now, but not for long. But here's the encouragement. And Jesus is telling us that what is going to happen now is not an emergency help. It's actually an improvement. But the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. They're trying, as I did on my wedding day, they're trying desperately to take it all in. I mentioned my wedding day because I hardly remember it. I was so freaked out and happy and honored and just completely weirded out of my mind that I remember about two minutes of that entire day. <laughs> I know it happened because we have a video. My wife, by the way, made the, for me at least, regrettable decision for us to face the congregation. 
And she said later, you look like a man facing a firing squad the entire time. What's going on? Well, that's part, of the, that's part of the excitement. When you're this wound up, when it's this big of a deal, you forget. Your memory disappears. Your memory even makes things up. So Jesus is reassuring them. I'm speaking to you for a few more minutes while I'm still with you. But a helper is going to come. A helper who the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You won't have to remember it all. You have to listen to me and trust that the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things I've taught you. He says in the next chapter in John 15, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, there's the unity of the Trinity, the Father is sending the Spirit in the name of the Son. The Son is sending the Spirit from the Father. Look at it again. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about what? What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? To teach us about Jesus. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. The Spirit will come to you. He will remind you about me. He will teach you everything you need to know. He will bring to memory everything that I have taught you. And his subject will be Jesus. His subject will be me, says Jesus. And you, you frightened band, you pack of cowards, you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus knows that they're going to end better than they started. If you were to assess the Christian movement on the night that Jesus was arrested, you would think that it is dead, that it died along with Jesus. And there is no more hope for his name to be preached again. I want to be fair to the text. These promises that were made right here were spoken to a very specific group of people. The original apostles. The 11, because the traitor is gone. But this ministry, as it turns out, is not only extended to us, it's actually improved in our day. We have it better than they did. Are you aware of that? Let me be really clear and really practical. One of the great laments in the pandemic from Christians, well-meaning Christians, including people my age and older, is that the best days of Christianity are well behind us. And that the best thing that could happen to us is for us to dial the clock back. You ever feel like that? I do. Then again, my high school soundtrack is now on the oldie station, so... It's hard not to be nostalgic. Let me remind you that Jesus himself is unchanged and unchanging. The gospel is as true and powerful as it's ever been. And these first disciples, they were just a small, scared band. They would soon scatter. Peter himself would go back to fishing, thinking himself unworthy, obviously, of ever speaking the name of Jesus again because Peter denied him with oaths three times. A young girl made the great apostle Peter fear for his life and deny not only following but ever even knowing Jesus. That's what he started with. But he promised them the Holy Spirit. He promised them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come. And my point is, in our day, it's even better because the scriptures that will tell us fully about Jesus weren't even written in their time. The apostles themselves were only going to begin the process of giving the completed word of God that you hold in your hands. Peter would say in his second letter in 2 Peter chapter 1 that men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit that no one made a revelation from God up, but rather men from God spoke as the Holy Spirit carried them along. So you too have received the helper 
the teacher, the encourager, the one who gave you new life, who put you in the family of God, that made you belong to God, you have received the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ at all. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have something the apostles did not in their own day. You have the completed, God-breathed, inspired Word of God to guide you and to teach you about Jesus. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul himself was still writing. This is his final letter. The churches are receiving the Word of God. It will take some time for Christians to recognize all that God has spoken to them you have it right here. If you have a smartphone, you can read your Bible in as many languages as you speak, and usually in more translation than one. I don't want you to take the time because I'm laboring to keep your attention. But if you look in your Bible app, I bet you have at least a dozen English translations to choose from. I have several Spanish translations to choose from. I believe I saw a Comanche translation of the Bible. I can't speak the language, but I carry the Word of God to almost the entire world in my pocket, breathed out by God, bearing witness to His Son, carried, carried along, men carried along by the third person of the Trinity, and the Bible tells me itself that that Word of God, breathed out by God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, will teach me, will correct me, will put me in my place, and will train me up to be righteous. You have any idea the advantage you have? But my goodness, it's hard for Jesus to get an audience. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to bring this down to us. Read with me Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The Colossians were an ordinary Christian church. Paul had not even visited them. They were started by a man. All we know about him practically is his name. And Paul wrote to the Colossian church, an ordinary Christian church drawn from Greco-Roman paganism in a world and in an empire where persecution would soon engulf them all, where they would be looked at as the enemy of all true religion and spirituality, where they would be looked at as those who would turn the world upside down and upset the empire and draw the wrath of Rome upon themselves. Here's Paul's counsel to the Colossians. Read with me. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Did you get that? The word of Christ is to do what? Dwell in who? Dwell in, there's America right there. Let me explain what I mean. Half of you said me. Half of you said you. It's one of the limitations of English. If I can get, can I get geeky for just a second? In a lot of languages, we have different words for the pronoun you in English. When I say you, you don't know if I'm speaking to you individually or to you and your friend. You has to do double duty in English. We solved it in the South, by the way. We say y'all, which is plural, see? Paul is writing to the Colossian church and speaking to them in plural with an individual responsibility. Here's the responsibility of the individual believer. But if every believer will take his individual responsibility seriously, it will have a healthy healing effect on all of them. Look, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, what? One another in all wisdom. 
Let me make this plain and let me make this practical because if you take this as the word of God that it is and reorient your schedule, your life will be markedly different by the time we gather again on Sunday. Christ has spoken in his word. The Holy Spirit carried men sent from God along. In other words, he supervised, directed, and inspired the writing of the Bible in such a way that Paul dares to call it the very breath of God. It's as if you were face to face with God and God lovingly speaks to you. He is speaking to you. I walked about a mile this morning thinking about the sermon. I turned on this Bible app. I chose a translation that I never hear just to see what I might pick up from something I never read or listen to. And I listened to three chapters of the words of Jesus in John's gospel. The word of Christ is alive. It's speaking to you. And your responsibility, according to Paul, is to let it dwell in you richly, to let his living word, the very breath of God, the word of God that can be called the word of God, the word of Christ, and the breath, the word of the spirit, because it is the word of God, and God is not three, he is one. And in the great acts of his mercy and his character, he works in unity every person doing what corresponds to each person of the Trinity, but God himself and God alone, creating, saving, inspiring, giving, loving. The word of Christ can dwell in you richly. In other words, the word of Jesus can make itself at home in you. You can listen to Jesus in a way that his word comes into your life and settles down into you and changes you in such a way that you are taught, you are rebuked, you are corrected, and you are retrained, you are changed. And here's the problem. Because of social media, because of smartphones, and because of screens, Jesus can barely get a word in edgewise. Have you been on social media yet today? No judgment, I have. I posted something late last night. I had interacted with a couple people this morning. My phone burps and squeaks and squawks at me all day long, just like yours. I have literally anything I want to watch. For a monthly subscription, I can watch almost anything all the time. I can have Netflix and Hulu and video through Prime, which is included for free with my membership that allows me to buy the few movies they won't show me for free and send me endless books and resources and products all the time, all for free. Productions worth millions of dollars are available with a couple of clicks on a tiny little screen. You've seen it, you've done it, as have I. You've been out in public at a nice restaurant and looked around and 25 people are in the restaurant. 20 people are looking at a screen. They're going to pay $100 for dinner and hardly speak to each other. And people smarter than you and I have worked both on the content and the literal device. I'll send you the books and the resources if you want to read them. A group in particular at Stanford University applied genius level IQ to keeping you hooked. This book, the very word of God that can save your soul and make you like Jesus, it loses a lot of appeal in an environment like this. Years ago in a Christian bookstore, I saw a book called The One Minute Bible. And the promise of the book was to make the Bible manageable and readable by giving you readings that it promised you could finish in 60 seconds. Two ways to look at that. Thank God for anyone who never having opened a Bible will take 60 seconds to read it. It's a step in the right direction because it is the very word of God. But if you're already a Christian, you already belong to God and God actually is your father. Imagine the difficulty that almighty God might have trying to reach your heart and mind if you listen to him for 60 seconds and binge Netflix so often and so hard that it sometimes says, are you still there? 
Do you understand what kind of culture we created that the people who built the architecture have built in a signal wondering if we're still watching? No judgment here. I've done all of it. I did wake up this week reading this that my mandate according to the Word of God is to live in such a way that the teaching of Jesus not only has a passing acquaintance with me, but that it actually makes itself at home in me so that then, look what happens, we teach and admonish who? One another. In other words, the community of the Christian church is a self-correcting, self-teaching community that corrects and teaches and bears burdens and does everything in the name of Christ, learning evermore to behave like Christ. Here's how Paul put it to the Ephesians, a church he knew much better. Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you are going to indulge in life online as I do, take this verse to heart. You are to live in such a way that no corrupting talk comes out of your mouth. In other words, nothing comes out of your mouth that can make somebody else defiled, that can discourage or destroy or distract anybody else. Rather, only what is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Three times this week, Members of this congregation reached out to me for help. Thank God, at least this time, they weren't talking about other members of the congregation. But three different people this week reached out to me for help because their relationships are being torn asunder by things that people are seeing online that are changing fundamentally the way they treat themselves, the way they treat their family and their friends. Three different people unsolicited. Here's how the Bible addresses that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The only thing that should come out of the mouth of a Christian is something that is good for building the other person up, that is chosen and carefully selected for each occasion. In other words, and I say this to myself, sometimes the best thing to do is shut up. That takes me back to police chaplain training. Because we're called to those scenes, the man doing the training who had more degrees than Fahrenheit, including a master of divinity from a good seminary, said, when you're on that scene, you'll be very worried about what to say. My advice to you is just be quiet and be there. Because that scene will be so chaotic and so painful that people hardly won't hardly ever be able to remember anything you say anyway unless you say something awful, in which case they'll never forget it. Been there, done that, both times. Both ways, rather. What is our speech to do? Did you see that last line? Our speech is to be carefully selected to do what? Give grace to those who hear. See, a big part of being a Christian is make sure that our beliefs match our behavior by giving the grace in the way we talk to other people, the same kind of grace that Jesus gave us. And you'll say, Bruce, what in the world, man? You're kind of on a social media rant. I thought we were talking about the Holy Spirit. Where's all this going? I want to show you the very next verse. Will you read it with me? Ephesians 4, verse 30. Read this with me. It's the very next verse after what I just read and explained to you. Read this with me, please. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Question. You think Paul's a bad writer? Paul was one of those men from God carried along by the Holy Spirit. Unlike me, He's not subject to mental frailties and learning deficiencies that make what's happening now a high wire act every single Sunday. Okay, I told someone on the porch, my mind is like four monkeys fighting all the time and on Sunday morning they all drink Red Bull before church starts. <laughs> okay? Paul's not like that. 
He is being protected from any error by the breath of God, by the very inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking God's Word. And he says something really practical, really helpful, really relational. Listen, Ephesians. When you speak to one another or to anybody else, don't corrupt them. Don't dirty their lives with anything you say. On the contrary, be very choosy and choose your words carefully so that it will only do two things for them. It will build them up and it will give them grace. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why are those two verses next to each other? Is Paul a bad writer? Is he easily distracted as I am? No. When we fail to allow the Word of God, which should have been shaping our hearts and our behavior, to guard and guide our mouths, and we speak corruptingly, we speak foolishly, we speak destructively, we speak harshly so that we do not give grace, we give judgment. Instead, in that moment, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And imagine the audacity of a man like me and a person like you grieving the Holy Spirit. I can't even conceive of that. I've tried all week to imagine what that must be. But to bring grief to God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, I I can't even begin to know how to explain that to you. But there's fellowship and harmony in the Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have always enjoyed one another. The triunity of God has been in perfect harmony in existence forever. So perhaps it is something like the Spirit deeply grieved, saying to the Son and to the Father, do you see how the kids are acting? See what your daughter's doing? See how she talks to people? See how she uses the grace we've given her? It's heavy. You go, you're being dramatic. No, I'm not. God's a person. Mind, will, emotions, purposes, plans, unalterable plans, holy plans, plans that include you. When you don't cooperate, when I don't cooperate, when I disobey, when I look at the grace of Jesus, all that he's done, and I decide blasphemously that I know better, and that I'm going to say everything that's on my mind because they deserve it, they've got it coming, and I just call it like I see it. Have you heard that? Who made you the umpire anyway? Listen carefully to what this says to give grace, to build up, to not corrupt. When we fail to let the Word and the Spirit of Jesus shape us into the character and the behavior of Jesus and bilge and poison pours out of our mouth, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The same Holy Spirit who has already sealed us and called us God's own and guarantees us that someday everything God has promised will actually be ours. Let me pull this together with three very simple and practical observations. First, the bold faith of the first disciples came from being certain who Jesus is and what he said. Jesus told them on his way to the cross that he was going to die and he would be absent from them very soon, but that it would be better. And the reason for that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to continually reassure first the first disciples and today present day disciples that Jesus is absolutely real and completely dependable and that he has spoken the truth to us. The way many Christians have behaved all throughout human history, but we've put it on steroids since the pandemic began, it's as if Jesus were unequal to the present day. And because these days are so difficult, we just got to take over and act the way we want to. No, the Holy Spirit helps us remember and obey Jesus in seasons of change and suffering. That's his role. That's why he was sent. Catastrophic change was coming into the lives of the apostles. 
catastrophic change and persecution, hunger, nakedness, the sword, literally lions tearing them limb from limb, an entire world empire would turn its harsh, unrelenting gaze on Christians. They would be blamed for massacres in Rome, and to pay for it, they would be massacred themselves. Why is the Holy Spirit sent to keep them calm? to help them remember who Jesus was and how much he had promised, to make ordinary men cowards, really. Cowards like Peter say, you'll have to kill us. We're not backing down. We can't help it. We can't do anything other than tell you what we've seen and heard. Same group of cowards. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit who has come into their lives, who now lives in them and is giving them the courage, the character, the boldness, the love, the grace of Jesus himself in his physical absence. And I want you to notice finally that the Holy Spirit works to do all this for Christians and through Christians. This is why self-styled individualistic Christianity will never work. The pandemic has put the American church in particular at a crossroads of whether we really believe the assembly is worth anything because that's what the church means. The church literally is an assembly of people called together. Called together because they belong together and they have a shared purpose. Through your screen, through your smartphone, you can attend church anywhere in the world. If you don't feel like attending church, you can watch the sermon anytime you want and hear from better preachers than I am. And you can hear from them just like Netflix, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the purpose of Jesus is greater than hearing one person teach all the others. You'll notice the instruction to the Colossians was teaching and admonishing one another. There's a shared life in Christ. There is a shared burden bearing and a shared rejoicing. And the Holy Spirit works to do what he does. He does this all for individual Christians through individual Christians who have committed together to serve Jesus as not only individual lives, but as his body, as the body, the church of Christ himself. What I'm telling you, church, is I have no idea what's coming. I gave up predicting. In March of 2020, I said, boys, don't worry. This is only going to take six weeks tops. They told us two weeks to flatten the curve. Surely if we triple that, we'll be okay. No. I don't know what's coming, but I know what Jesus said. Jesus said that the arrival of the Holy Spirit would be better for you that he would live in you and remind you of all that Jesus taught you, that he would place you individually and collectively in the family of God, that the Spirit himself would form churches and appoint leaders in those churches so that we could face it together. So to be very practical and to plead with you, if you don't have friends here, make some. If I'm your only resource, if I'm the only guy you know, first of all, God help you if I'm it you got to do so much better than that. You can't possibly know everybody. I don't know everybody. But you need to have at least a few people who know you, who love you, who will miss you, who will rejoice with you and bear burdens with you. Because I don't know what is coming. There is joy and pain straight ahead in all of our lives. I don't know when those joys and when those pains will come, but what the Spirit is doing is forming us first individually and then collectively into the behavior of God so that we not only belong to him, we behave like his son Jesus and he wants with his whole, holy, eternal heart to make you not only belong to Jesus but behave like him too. Let's pray together. I've been asking at the end of this service if you know Christ and I want to ask you that now. Are you quite certain that you know Jesus in a way that your soul is safe? When death comes for you 
in hours or many, many years from now, are you certain that when that moment comes, you will be safe and saved and you will arrive in glory happy? Do you know that for sure? If you don't, can I invite you in the name of Jesus to turn away from your sin and ask Jesus to save you? I'm just the messenger. I've already told you some of my limitations, but I can tell you this for sure. Jesus died for sinners like me and like you. He wants to save you, and he will, if you trust him. Turn away from whatever you've been trusting and believe the gospel. Trust him instead, and he'll save you. And if you do, let us know. Send us an, a message. If you're here in the room, take the card that's in your bullet and fill it out. Let us know, as two people did last week, that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And Christian, has the word of Christ been dwelling in you richly? Or have you been consumed by the screens and the phone? You need to make an appointment with the Lord. You need to have a plan and a purpose to sit with him and let him teach you so that his word will soak all through your life, make itself at home in you, and he himself, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he promised you will change you. Can I give you a moment to make an appointment with him right now? When's it gonna be? Later today? Tomorrow morning? When are you gonna meet with him day by day? Tell him and show up. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to listen to you. Help us make the most of these days. This is our day. We are your people. You've given us gifts and resources, opportunities, experiences, great joys, great pains as well, all of it fashioned in your hand to make us in your power equal to the moment. Help us rise to it. Help us walk with you, stay in step with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Could I ask you to stand for just a moment? Look around this room. I know. I know. Look around. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the plan. Literally, God help us. This is it. We're it. We together are a family of God, a household of God, loved, redeemed, purchased by the blood of Jesus, indwelt and changed forever by the Holy Spirit. In the first service, as we ended the service, a siren, complete with Doppler effect, went racing by. And I thought it was very timely because a siren speaks of trouble. Police or fire or both were going as fast as they could to someone in trouble. There may not be sirens in their lives, but the people around you, maybe the person beside you, is in trouble. You know Jesus. You already know the answer. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to point them to the one who does. And we collectively, our shared giving, our shared loving, our shared serving, our shared witness, that little band of courageous people is going to get together in a couple Saturdays to go door to door and say, I'm from Cross Point Church. We just came out to say hi to our neighbors. We were wondering if we could pray for you. Someone's going to burst into tears, as has so often happened, and thank you for being there. Other people will slam the door in your face. Say, we're all good. We're not buying any. We're not selling anything, but that's what they'll say. And then that moment, you will have brought the person, the good news of Jesus, close. Church, let's get closer together to him, and let's get closer together to each other because we have a Savior to share and a world to serve. God bless you. I love you. This is all true. Go get them. Love you. Bye-bye.